ora koutou and welcome to Primary Matters, an MPI podcast that delves into things that matter to our primary industries. I'm Carol Stiles and I'll be taking a look at what's going on to keep our food and fibre industries thriving and safe. In this series, I'll be catching up with people who have crucial and often surprising jobs to protect animals, crops, our environment and the economy. It's kind of a case of, you do what? Hey, my name's Abraham Grocott and I help keep marine pests out of New Zealand. Marine pests can have, can have a lot of different impacts. They can outcompete our native species for space. They can also eat them and a number of um, species that could be eaten by marine pests are ones that humans really value to eat ourselves. And we also um, have a lot of economic interests in the marine environment from aquaculture and if um, species are eating those, those ones that we're trying to grow, we're going to have problems. And also tourism. People come to New Zealand to see the environment in, in a um, more pristine state than, than they have in their countries. So, um, yeah, there's huge uh, economic and environmental incentives to uh, keep marine pests out of New Zealand. Do people take marine pests as seriously as plant pests and land pests? They're more aware of plant pests and pests that are above the water because we're not underwater as much as we're on land, right? So we'll notice seasonal changes in our backyard or we'll notice that new wasp species that just stung us or our little child. Whereas um, we're not underwater as much, but the changes and the impacts can just be as uh, in the same magnitude as terrestrial pests and diseases for sure. Part of Abe's job is to help look after a national surveillance programme for marine pests and involves working closely with NIWA, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research. So they have um, marine scientists there who actually go out and look for marine pests in the environment. And how they do that is they target the busiest marinas and harbours around New Zealand and there's 12 of them from um, the top of the North Island all the way down to the South Island and they physically go out into the harbour and port environments and actually look for marine pests by diving, setting crab traps, going for a walk down the beach, having a look, see, seeing what um, has washed up. And these um, scientists have been doing it for a very long time. This programme started in 2002 and we've just um, celebrated our 20-year anniversary. So a lot of these scientists are still doing it since day dot and they know when something unusual pops up because they're diving in these environments twice a year, every year. And so sometimes something just catches their eye and they don't know what it is, but they know it's something different. So then they collect the sample and then they um, send it to the taxonomists who then ID it. Sounds like quite a good job. Yeah, it's a good, it'd be a good job on a day like this in uh, sunny Wellington when it's, you know, not windy, but um, in the middle of winter, because they do summer and winter surveys, in the middle of winter when it's a howling subly, um, I quite like my job in the office a bit more. But um, no, they do have good work stories, and, and they do find a lot of things. That's what's known as active surveillance. And then there's general or passive surveillance, which involves upskilling New Zealanders to know what to do if they find something unusual. So that's all about, like, okay, I walk this beach and I've walked it every day for the last 20 years, but today something's washed up on the shore and I'm not sure what it is, I've never seen it before. Okay, what, what should I do? So you take a photo if you can, take note of the location and ring the pest and disease hotline. That's free and confidential 
and then people will ask you some questions and then it all goes from there. Pestin's disease hotline covers all the sectors in New Zealand so yeah it gets um, around 10,000 calls a year but they're not all progressed through the biosecurity system. In the marine space we're starting to get a lot more especially due to the marine heat waves we're getting new species that that survive and and really increase in density and have really um, high growth rates in summer. Yeah we're seeing marine pests in new areas um, growing on new things um, because of that. How do marine pests come to New Zealand? Marine pests tend to spread around the world associated with shipping. So that's um, commercial shipping and recreational shipping. And they do that via two main ways. The first way is via ballast water. So that's the bigger, bigger vessels that need to take on water for safety so they're not unstable. And then that water will be collected overseas and then uh, discharged in another port in another country. And so you can imagine you can suck up a lot of larvae and small creatures and sediment in one area and, and then dump that in another. And that's a, that's a really well-documented pathway for spread of marine pests around the world. New Zealand was the first country in the world to implement regulations for ballast water. If you're coming to New Zealand, you have to dump your ballast water in the open ocean and then you suck up the open ocean water as you're coming to New Zealand and then once you're in New Zealand and you fill out the correct paperwork etc then you may be granted permission to dump that ballast water before taking on your load here. But the main offender for the spread of marine pests is biofouling. Biofouling is basically animals and plants that are growing on a submerged surface, so a vessel hull and um, vessels if they're not well maintained they can transport all sorts of animals and plants and sea stars and fish and all sorts of things around the world. The pests that have established in New Zealand that's the most likely way they've come in as, as via biofouling as opposed to ballast water. Abe says New Zealand leads the way in setting standards for biofouling regulations. There are a variety of ways to meet the standards, including scraping and cleaning the hull before arriving, or cleaning the hull using an approved system within 24 hours of arriving here. You can also follow um, international guidelines around best practice, so making sure you've got the right anti-fouling paint for your vessel, making sure that your vessel isn't sitting in areas overseas and other ports for a long time. He says compliance is pretty good. You know, vessels, if they're delayed, commercial vessels, they kind of have like, I imagine it's a bus routes where they have to meet their deadlines going around the world, dropping things off and picking things up. And if they're delayed, that costs them, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. So they are very incentivised not to be held up at our border. So it only takes a few examples like that for the shipping industry to realise that, um, yeah, it's, it's best to follow the rules. So what have you got in your hand there? Oh, this is, this is um, we call it the New Zealand Marine Pest ID Guide. So this has photos and information on the notorious pests, marine pests that are not in New Zealand and some that are in New Zealand but only in selected locations and we're trying to prevent their further spread. 
This is for the public and boat owners and anyone interested in the marine environment and it's waterproof so you can take it on your boat and if you think you see something you can have a look through here and, and figure out what it could be and then you can figure out what you have to do. Which is to ring the hotline we were talking about earlier on 0800 80 99 66. Also there's a citizen science um, online platform called iNaturalists and that's where Keen environmentally minded people take photos of things and put them on to it's like the Facebook for nature lovers so you take a photo of of an organism or a plant or anything really and then you put it up and people will identify it for you and we've actually found new to New Zealand marine pests through that from just someone taking a photo of something unusual that they've never seen before they're not a taxonomist they're not an expert but they've taken a photo of it put it up on, on the iNaturalist website and then people have gone oh I think that's actually a problem you need to ring the pest and disease hotline and then that causes an investigation and then we try and get a proper ID we can get them genetically sequenced to, to really be confident that it is what we think it is. There'd be a rapid assessment of the risk and a dive into literature from overseas to work out if a response is necessary. He says it is very difficult to eradicate pests in a marine environment. Hence why we do all that surveillance work, so we try and find things as, as soon as they get here. If we can't eradicate, we can use other management measures to slow its spread, to stop it spreading to high value locations. It's just depending on the biology of the organism. Like you're going to manage a crab different to how you manage a seaweed for example. What we'd do is we'd identify the pathways of spread. So how, how is this, this new organism that we've found somewhere in New Zealand, how is it likely to spread further? So there'll be natural ways that it can spread. So if it has a larval stage, it will spread on water currents. So we can't manage water currents. So we'll focus on the human pathways of spread. And that could be through boating activity. That could be through fishing activity. Um, it just really depends on, on the organism. Abe says there are five marine pests at the top of the hit list. We really, really don't want them here. One I'd like to highlight is called the Northern Pacific Sea Star. So that's native to Japan and all the way up to Russia. Um, so it's, it can um, live in quite a range of seawater temperatures. It's in Australia, was first found, detected in 1986 in Hobart. Is it a, a, like a starfish? Yeah, a sea star, starfish. So it can grow up to 50 centimetres in width, so kind of like a dinner plate or even bigger. It can get to really high population densities and the impact this sea star would have on the environment is it was, um, it's a very ferocious predator. It eats a lot of different species of shellfish. As it gets to really high population densities, you can imagine you have all these sea stars walking around on the, on the sea floor eating shellfish. So your mussels, pippi, your, um, your scallops, your oysters and that would have ecosystem effects um, on the environment. You think of all these um, filter feeding species filtering out sediments and pollution from, from the water column and if they, they disappear then you know that's going to have an impact and also these species are um, a food source for our snapper for example for a lot of different fish species and, and other organisms. So yeah, the Northern Pacific Sea Star is, is one organism that our surveillance program targets. Exotic seaweeds are also on the least wanted list. Yeah, overseas there's examples of um, uh, invasive seaweeds um, 
growing in, in new places, new countries, and um, they're outcompeting other species and growing to really, really high densities. And then when the water gets really hot and the wind blows on shore, those mats of seaweed can be blown up on shore and then they can rot on these pristine beaches and there's photos of this happening and it just wrecks the tourism industry. Yeah, marine, marine pests can, can, be, um, can be devastating in certain places at certain times. Is there any evidence of a, anything here? Oh, not that I can see. We just we just <laughs> got pippy shells and driftwood, which is which is what we want to see. We don't we don't want to see any uh, stinky seaweed being blown up on shore. That could be potentially from um, overseas. And that's marine pest sleuth Abraham Grocott. And since I met with Abe on that Wellington beach, Calerpa an exotic seaweed has been found in the Bay of Islands. It can form large mats, outcompete native seaweeds and seagrasses, and can smother shellfish beds. Boating, fishing and diving restrictions have been put in place to stop Calerpa's spread. Biosecurity New Zealand and Niwa are working with locals, councils and mana whenua to limit its impact. I'm Carol Stiles and you've been listening to You Do What? A series in MPI's Primary Matters podcast. Thanks for listening. Kia pai tera. Mm-hmm.